Well, if you will, grab your Bibles and find the last book of the Bible, the New Testament, that's Revelation. And then the last chapter, and over the next few weeks, we're just wrapping up this study in the book of Revelation. So if you've just joined us, you're going to get a little bit of the overflow from this revelation and a little bit of overflow from my heart. I believe that what happens in us is far more important than what happens to us, because we cannot always control what happens to us, but we can submit our hearts to the Lord and therefore control what happens in us. And if you are a victor in Jesus Christ, you're not a victim of your circumstances. You may have had some terrible circumstances growing up. I'm talking to people in this room that we all can identify with in some form or fashion that have had hurts. You've had some things that have been done to you, and there's even some things that you've actually done that might actually today ask the question, or you might ask yourself this question, could God ever use me? If I could just go back and change some things, if I could just change some circumstances, some decisions, then I'd be a lot different than I am now. But I want you to know that the Lord Jesus Christ can absolutely redeem a broken heart and a broken life. And he can take whatever you've done and wash it with his blood and make you a trophy of grace, one that can be used of God in a way that will just make the angels stand in awe because you have been bought with a price, the precious blood of Jesus. So don't let anybody, include yourself, tell you that you can never be all that God intended you to be. I want you to know God's called you. He has called you with a call from up high, an upward call in Jesus Christ. And what happens in you is far more important than what happens to you. I say all that to say there's much here in Revelation that will help us to understand what it means to respond to God rightly, inwardly, inwardly. If you have your Bibles, Revelation 22, would you stand with me and let's read uh, beginning of verse 8. I, John, the one who was hearing and seeing these things, and when I heard and saw these, I fell down and worshipped at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. But he said to me, do not do that. I'm a fellow slave with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Then notice the imperative. The angel looked at John and said, worship God. Thank you. You may be seated. I hope that Revelation will do this for you. It will enable you to worship God at a deeper level, or if you've never been a worshiper of God today, to become a worshiper of God, because you were actually made to worship God. You have a creator. You're a creature. And the creature can worship the creator. In fact, it's what you're intended for. Romans chapter 1. Romans is a book that tells us that the entire world that rejects God does not give glory to God or they don't worship God. They're not doing what they were intended to do. Therefore, we'll never find real, true, and lasting fulfillment and joy that's intended by God the Creator. We're the creature, we have a Creator, and we've been intended to worship God. Think about old John. John who said, I heard all of these things. I saw these things. And then all of these things was in utter amazement, had wonder at the, war, the God of this word. I mean, he's, on, 
He's on this island, Patmos. Things are not good for him. I mean, you think cafeteria food is bad? Man, I went to a college that cafeteria food was bad. One day the guy said, eat here on Sundays. We really make it good on Sundays. I said, why can't you do that the rest of the week? I don't know what the food was like on Patmos, but it was probably better than my college cafeteria. And his accommodations, they were definitely not the Holiday Inn. He was sleeping probably on a stone bed. He was in a dank, dark cell. It was a terrible place. And constantly believers were being executed for their faith. John, John could say things are not going well. Things were happening to John. Things were happening to his brother, fellow bro, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. Th- things were not good. But what would happen in John is what I hope would happen in us. When he saw and he heard the revelation of Jesus Christ, he was in utter amazement. So much that he reacted in a way that we should all react. When we come face to face with the revelation of Jesus Christ. If you're just joining us, you notice that I called this book the Revelation. It's not Revelations. It's Revelation. Very important to understand that. Uh, when we go to Osteen's, we order shrimp, not shrimps. Although, I'll take them either way. And Revelation is that way because the reason I want to drive this home, it is that it's, this book is not only about those things which are to come and those things which are, but all those things which are to come and are our revelation of Jesus Christ. So John has a revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, when he says, I heard and saw these things, the antecedent is the New Jerusalem, the new earth, the new heaven, when everything's made new, when God wipes away all our tears, imagine that, no more sorrow, no more suffering, but it is the Lord Jesus Christ who is to be worshiped in light of that day, in light of that new city, in light of this new earth and new world. Jesus is the center of revelation. And when John gets this revelation, he reacts appropriately. He worships but the direction of his worship was inappropriate. Notice verse 8 says, he fell down before the angel. Now, I don't take this to mean necessarily that he's worshiping the angel. I think he is so overwhelmed by everything that he has seen and heard that the only right reaction is to worship. He's stirred on the inside. So it doesn't matter what's happening to him on the outside. The inside is so stirred that his reaction is correct, his direction was wrong. His direction was through an angel to God. He wanted to worship God, but was doing it inappropriately. In other words, I think when we get the revelation that comes from God's Word, the truth about Jesus, we want to react appropriately. It's just sometimes we don't know how. And we then begin to aim our worship in directions that we really should not. In other words, there's just times when we began to worship people who have helped us to come to understand Jesus. This happened in the Corinthian church where people were saying, well, I follow Paul. Another said Cephas. Another said Apollos. And others who were real spiritual, like, oh, we, we, we just follow Jesus. But what people were doing was knowing they should worship God, but aiming their worship in the wrong direction. Sometimes it's church services. Well, I like a church service this way. This is the way I want the music, and this is the way I want the prayers, and this is the way I want the liturgy or the form of worship to go. And we aim our attention more at the form than the function of worship or the reason for worship, which is Jesus Christ. I'll give you, for instance, 
I, was, uh, I grew up in a church where we had a choir sang uh, all of the time, and one Sunday in particular, we were singing these patriotic songs, and here, here folks were, they, they were singing patriotic songs in the choir, and they were songs about America, not about God, not about Jesus, songs about America. And in the middle of that song about America, one of the ladies, who was, was, was her habit, began to raise her hand in worship. Others around her in the choir started doing the same. And I noticed the choir director going, put your hands down. We're not worshiping America here, y'all. And after it was over, he had to have a conversation with the choir about who it is that we come to church to worship. Now, I love America, but I'm not worshiping America. And I want you to know that in the choir, the habit had then turned into some sort of function of worship that should have never been there. And so therefore, when we get an awe of worship, awe, awe in feeling and even in movement, we better make sure that we're wise in our worship, wise in our worship means this, that sometimes we're just coming overwhelmed in our emotions, but we make sure that our emotions are directed at the right person, and that is not the person on the platform or the person in our life that's causing those emotions, but the Lord Jesus Christ. John bows down before this angel. This angel does what? Well, look in verse 8. The angel, um, here's, here, here, here's John, and sees John as John hears and sees and the angel corrects John. Verse 9, don't do this. Stop. Don't, don't worship me. And then he, um, he redirects John. I'm your fellow slave with you. you know, angels are that. Angels are slaves of God. That's the word. Your Bible might say servant, but the actual rendering is slave. That comes across a little strong in our day, and we know for good reason but we do need to understand that as Christians, we are indeed the slaves of God. Bought with a price, willing to serve. And so the angel says, that's what I am. If you have a slave, then you have a master. I serve my master. And I'm your fellow slave. Which tells John, you also are a slave of God. You're not to worship or serve anyone else. Only God. Jesus told Satan the very same thing. You shall worship and serve only God. So he corrects this, uh, this action of worship, but he commends John because he says, you are also a slave with your brothers, the prophets, and those who keep the words of this book. So what the angel then does in compassion is elevates John, gets him up off of his feet, directs his attention to God, to the Lord Jesus Christ, by telling him, you happen to be a slave of the Most High. And you are also a slave of the Most High with the prophets before you. All the prophets of God serve not in their own volition, but at the will of God to speak the Word of God. And that's who you are, John. You're a man not speaking your word, but the revelation from God. And you're also a slave with all those who keep this book. And who is that, y'all? Well, that would be all of, all of those who have come to put faith in Jesus Christ and are slaves of the Master, the Lord Jesus. Just a little review from last week. That's why people have to have a little bit of tolerance with us in this so-called tolerant age. We live in a tolerant age, don't we? Unless you happen to stand on objective truth. But we have a Master. And our Master has given us instructions. Since we are slaves... 
we have no choice but to keep our master's instructions. Agreed or disagreed? You have to decide. You can't stand in the middle. He is either Lord of all or he is not Lord at all. And I have come to understand as my Lord, he's given me instructions. Since he's my master, I must keep them. I must keep this book. I must keep this book because I'm a slave, just like John, just like the prophets before, just like all of those who are bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. So then the angel says, don't do this. Then the imperative. Do you see the imperative? Look at the end of verse 9. Two words, worship God. Worship God. This is not the first time that we've seen John actually fall down before an angel. This is the second time. He got so overwhelmed in worship that for the second time, this saint, this aged saint, long in the tooth, I mean, he's, he's experienced everything, but yet messes up. And I don't know about y'all, when I read this, I took a little bit of encouragement because I have messed up a few times since being saved. And even messed up in the way in which I go about my worship. I have gone and realized I actually believed things in the past that I should not have believed, and the Word of God, by God's grace, has corrected my belief. I've made arguments against things I should have never made arguments against because I was arguing out of emotion instead of from the Scripture. And so I, I just thank God that I'm not alone. Anybody with me? So John messes up, but... He's compassionately corrected, and then he's given this instruction again, and John knew this. This is not new information for John. John's already taught his church in 1 John, don't do anything but worship God. Watch out for false spirits. Test them. And here's how you test them. If they deny that Jesus Christ is God, they are of the spirit of Antichrist. Don't be like that. So John knows, he knows, he knows, but he's corrected, and now he's told, worship God. I want to spend the rest of our time this morning just thinking about how to worship God. Because, y'all, that's what we're going to do throughout eternity. That's what we're going to do throughout eternity. And heaven is going to be the most joyful and ridiculously happy place you've ever been. And so if you grew up and you thought worship was boring, it's because maybe someone misrepresented God to you because the least boring person in the universe is God. Think about how creative He is. He is so good and so gracious, and so big, and so awesome, that the more we discover of Him, the more we desire in all to worship Him in wonder. Why, why is it that we go and stare at the stars at night? So that we can feel big, feel important? Why do you go to the Grand Canyon and look over the Grand Canyon so that you can feel like you're someone? Or to think, man, what an awesome creator we have. And in all and wonder, we want to aim our worship at Him appropriately. Worship God. I want to drop down to verse 13 and see how to do that. Verse 13, Jesus said to John, and this is Jesus now speaking about Himself, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. To begin with, if I'm going to worship God properly, if I'm going to direct my worship appropriately, then I'll worship God through Jesus Christ, who is the Lord God Almighty. Did you know Jesus is the Lord God Almighty? Open your Bibles to, thank you for that. That's wonderful. Revelation, from the mouths of babes, Psalm says. Look in Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. 
Look at verse 8 of Revelation 1. Mark this. Write this down in your Bible that this is God speaking. Revelation chapter 1, verse 8. God says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. Everyone clear uh, that this is God speaking? And who does God say that He is? He says, I, I'm the Alpha and Omega. All right, back to 22, chapter 22, verse 13. This is Jesus speaking. How do I know it's Jesus speaking? Uh, verse 16, I, Jesus. All right, so here Jesus is speaking. Jesus said in verse 13, I am the Alpha and Omega. If anyone ever asks you, how do you know Jesus is God, take them here. If they say to you, Jesus never claimed to be God, you have so many verses to take them to, but you can just take them to these two. Here Jesus is saying, I am the Alpha and Omega. God said the same thing. If Jesus is the Alpha and Omega and God is the Alpha and Omega, then Jesus is God Almighty. I went to school, old school, old school, but back when I went to school, two was equal to two. Is it still equal to two? So the Lord God Almighty is the Alpha and Omega, and Jesus is the Alpha and Omega. Since they're both Alpha and Omega, they're equal. Well, not, uh, one's not lesser, right? So to begin with, we have to, if we're going to direct our worship appropriately, understand that it's the Lord Jesus Christ that is to be exalted in our worship. Notice how he describes himself. I am the Alpha and Omega. That is, I'm the beginning and the end, and I am the first and the last. Alpha and Omega are the first and last letters of the Greek, Greek alphabet. Why, why would Jesus use the Greek alphabet? Well, uh, because the New Testament was written in Greek. So we could say it this way. He is the A to the Z. He's everything and everything in between. Heaven is about Jesus. Everything about heaven will point to Jesus. Why is everything so crystal clear in heaven? To reflect the glory of the Lamb. So nothing gets in the way. Everything in heaven about Jesus. So, if our worship is to be directed appropriately, it must be about Jesus. Secondly, notice this. He is not only the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. He is God Almighty, and He is the one who holds all things together and will bring all things to a conclusion. Now, Paul clears this up for us in chapter 1 of Colossians where we read that it is the Lord Jesus Christ who created all things and sustains all things, or holds all things together. Our Lord Jesus Christ created, sustains, and is bringing things to Himself. Adrian Rogers asked the question, to which he immediately answered it for himself, what's this world coming to? And he answered, Jesus. So everything right now that's happening in this world, everything crazy that's happening among us. Everything that we go, what in the world is going on? Here's what's going on. Jesus is holding all things together and bringing all things to Himself. So, therefore, I don't have to worry about what happens to me or even around me as long as I'm concerned more about what's happening in me. This will, I'm going to slow down here because this will help some of you. When you go home today, and maybe you get in a little spat at home with one of your kids or maybe in marriage, and you say, well, if they would only, 
If, the, if you adjust, remember this in marriage. If you can turn over your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ and submit to the Spirit so that what happens in you is directed towards Him in worship, then what happens to you will change. The way you treat your spouse will change. In fact, here's the reality. When you began to worship the Lord Jesus Christ by redirecting your attention to Him in all things, you don't have to make your spouse ultimate or your marriage ultimate or your kids ultimate because human beings, no matter how good they are, no matter how wonderful they are, no matter how long you've been married to them or how much you give your life for them, they're still broken, still fallen, and will still cause your heart to be crushed at times. So, whenever it is something happens to you, what happens in you is more important. Your worship of the Lord Jesus Christ in those things matters far more than what happens around you. This is what John was discovering. And here's Jesus speaking to John. The whole world's coming apart in John's day. I mean, he is, he is headed towards the grave before too long. He doesn't even know how much longer he'll live. But Jesus is saying, don't worry, I am. I am the Alpha and Omega. I am the beginning and the end. Notice this. I am the one who is the beginning and the end. I began all things. I will complete all things. I began this world. I'll finish it. This world didn't just get start to come apart. God has a plan. He's been working it all along. And the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who is holding all things together. One day will bring all things to himself in perfect completion. Don't think for a moment that this old world is going to keep going on like it is. Science doesn't even tell us that it's going to keep going on like it is. There is an end of this world, and there is a beginning of the new world, and our Lord Jesus Christ is both the beginning and the end, and the beginning of the world that is to come. He is the author of all things. He finishes all things. He started it. He'll finish it. Is that good news? Well, here's why it's good news beyond what I just said. He who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. I don't know what you're like, but I know what I'm like. I'm a piece of work in action. You can take that however you want. I don't care. I haven't arrived, but I will. And it won't be because I've done anything, but because of who's done it in me. He started something in me, and he'll complete it at the day of Jesus Christ. You know what he's doing right now to Scott? I'm telling you what he's doing to me all of the time. He's knocking Scott out and putting Jesus in. Were y'all in Philippians 3 this morning, some of you maybe in Bible study? What's Paul say? Man, I'm pursuing the one who pursued me for the reason which he ran after me. Well, why did Jesus run after Paul? To make me like Christ. So do you know what God's doing in you? He's going to knock everything out of you that doesn't look like Jesus. Let me tell you something. Sometimes that is a painful process. That scalpel cuts deep. But it always cuts in the way in which it should. To bring us into the image of our Lord Jesus Christ. To make us just like Him. When someone asked the question of a pastor, do you believe once saved, always saved? I want to reframe that question. And I want to ask back, 
do you mean to be asking me that God started something that He's not going to complete? Come over to my house. There's projects that I have not completed yet. Drives me crazy. Maybe drives Leslie crazy. She just never lets me know. But I'm going to tell you, there is not a project God's ever started that He has not completed or will not complete. Amen? Oh, wait a minute. That, that helps me a little bit, Pastor. You mean God started something in me, He's going to complete it? That's right. Worship God. Right now, just give worship to God. Just say, thank you, God. I'm not what I ought to be, but thank God I'm not what I was. And thank you that you right now, in this moment, are working in me so that you can complete what you started. He's the captain of our salvation. He's the author and finisher of our salvation. Thank God he is the beginning and the end. Now, notice verse 16. Not only does he describe himself in the terms of the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end, he also says, I, Jesus. This is the only time that the Lord Jesus actually refers to himself in this way, in the New Testament. I, Jesus. He's telling us, I'm the Savior. I'm not only the one who begins all things and completes all things, I'm the one who saves. Worship God. Worship God. How? By understanding that my God saves. Who does God save, by the way? Well, let's let Jesus answer that. I came not to call the righteous to repentance, but the sinner. I came to seek and to save the lost. If you're lost today, you can be saved. Who does Jesus save? Lost people. Don't get caught up in a bunch of philosophy or errant doctrines that are warped that say certain people can be saved and certain people cannot be saved. The people who can be saved are lost people. And guess what? Everybody born is lost. Therefore, anybody can be saved by God's grace. So if you're here today and you say, I'm lost, can I be saved? Are you lost and a sinner? Then you can be saved. I, Jesus, sent my angel to bear witness to you of these things for the churches. I am the root and descendant of David. Notice this. He is the one who is promised to come and be the final king of the new Jerusalem. The final king of the new Jerusalem. He is the descendant of David, meaning this is not just his ancestry, but his divine right to become the ultimate king of the new Jerusalem. Yes, Jerusalem is going to be a city. I went and talked to the second graders last week. Some of you know that. I told them that Heaven's going to be a city. I love the reaction of second graders. One second grader, second grader said, it's actually going to be a city? I thought it was in the sky, heaven. I love that reaction. It's going to be a real city. There's going to be a king on the throne there. And it's not just any king. It's a king who deserves to be king. It is the king that will never not be king, always be king. It's King Jesus. And he's the bright morning star. Meaning this, no one will ever outshine Jesus. Throughout all of eternity, He will shine brighter than any of the hosts of heaven, than any of the angels that walk those streets and do His bidding, than any saint that has ever lived before. There will no one, be no one there that will outshine Jesus Christ. What do I do with this? But my aim in eternity is to glorify and honor Christ and worship 
then it makes sense now to do the same. I've sat by and stood by a lot of saints in their last moments of life, with some of you actually, family members here who were in the room when their loved ones, some of our members, our brothers and sisters went on to be with Jesus. I think just about on every occasion where there was the opportunity to be in the room in those last moments, family members and church members have opened the Bible and read Scripture, John 14, 1 Thessalonians 4, Revelation 21, Psalm 23, worship. Songs would be sung. Sometimes singers would sing. I, I can remember just in days so many times where someone would say, I'm not much of a singer, but, but this is my dad's favorite song. Or this is my mom's song. Singing and worshiping. Phones playing worship music. Thinking about that saint in that room, among brothers and sisters, among family members, worshiping God in their last moments, closing their eyes, taking their last breath in worship, only to do what? To open up their eyes and take the next breath in worship of God in eternity. See, that's the way, that's the way to go out. That's the way to go out. Well, what are we waiting on? Because what we're going to do in heaven is what we've been called to do now on earth, and that is to worship God through honoring the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do what? Offer your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. To serve God is to worship God. To worship God is to serve God. To worship the Lord Jesus Christ as His willing slave is to serve Him by serving the body of Christ, which is the way in which we're to live every single moment of our lives to the honor and glory of God by exalting Him in the way we live, we talk, whether we eat or drink, all to the glory of God, worshiping, worshiping Him, not just on Sundays, not just on the Lord's Day, but let's start there. If I'm going to be a worshiper of God and the Lord Jesus Christ in exaltation, it does start on the first day of the week and the very first part of the Resurrection Day, Sunday. And I'm grateful that you're here this morning. I mean, I'm glad that you've come to worship your King and to serve your Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. You're at the right place at the right time. So is the Church of Jesus Christ all across America and the world who's chosen to set aside this day to gather together with others to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. We need this. For us, for us, the Lord's Day has to start on Saturday. We have to start preparing on Saturday to make this day a day of worship. Do you know what I mean? I mean, on Saturday, I don't stay up as late as I normally stay up. I'm a night owl. I like to get up early, but I like to stay up late. But not on Saturday. Saturday, I got to be in bed. I've got to know what's going to happen the next day. I even kind of know what I'm going to wear. I want, I want my kids to be ready for the Lord's Day. I want to slow down on the Lord's Day. This is not like any other day. 
I'm not saying this is the Sabbath or a replacement of the Sabbath day. And I'm not saying this day ought not be a time of fun and enjoyment. But I got to tell you, slow down on the Lord's day. Because I, I didn't used to do that. Uh, Leslie would tell you, I, I will cram everything I can in 24 hours to a fault. And sometimes even where I've had to repent, it's wrong. I can recall getting under conviction of this on one occasion when I was at church and the waves were good and I had my surfboard in the truck and I couldn't wait for the amen so I could get to the beach. And I could get to the beach and I was in high school, I think I was in high school, maybe early college, as long as I was back for church that night at six o'clock. That that was house rules. And so I can remember getting back in church at six o'clock. I was salty and sandy, but I was at church. My mind was not on the Lord Jesus Christ that day, I got to tell you, I can't do that. If my mind is on so many other things, it's hard to direct my attention to what I need to direct my attention to on the Lord's day. You may not be that way. You may be more disciplined than that, more focused than that. You might be able to multitask more, but I doubt it. Don't, don't make Sunday like every other day. I'm just encouraging you as a follower of Jesus Christ to treat Sunday, the Lord's day, as a very unique, special day. Uh, again, I'm not legalistic here. I'm not saying you can't have fun or even go surfing on, on the Lord's Day. I'm not saying any of those things. What I am saying is, this has come to be a very special day for us, right? So when we show up, don't get here late and don't leave early. Church starts at 1058, be here at 1058. Bible study starts at 920, be here at 915. Oh good, I got a couple of amens there. Those are probably teachers. Be on time, to the best of your ability, to the best of your ability. Make this a very special point of time to worship and serve. One of the best ways that we can worship the Lord on the Lord's day, serving. Where do you serve? Where are you using your spiritual gift? You, you are 10 in some area. The body of Christ needs everyone to serve, and you're in the body of Christ. Where, where are you serving? You, you say, I need to serve, but I can't make a commitment or every week serving. I didn't ask you for that right now, but maybe the Lord is certainly laying on your heart to serve. And one of the best ways to serve is to look and slow down and see. Look, slow down, and see where needs are. I love to watch the Lord Jesus Christ. It's so convicting when you watch Him. He's walking through a crowd. He's going to a destination, but He will stop and interrupt His schedule in order to care for a woman who is sick with an issue of blood. Or he'll detour his schedule to go to Samaria to talk to a woman who is desperately in need of love and looking for it in all the wrong places. On the Lord's Day, slow down. Don't forget when you come to corporate worship, you're among a congregation of people who might just need a kind word, a loving, supportive pat on the back, a hug. They might need you to stop and say, let's pray about that. You might just want to hear their story, know what they're going through. We don't just come to observe. Unfortunately, we've made the mistake of calling this gathering a worship service. When in fact, true worship service is service. It's serving God and His people. That's worship. We, unfortunately too, have made the congregation, the corporate worship about music. We say, what was worship like? What do you, kind of worship style do you have? Oh my goodness, do you think in heaven they're arguing over worship styles? You, you imagine Luther up there in heaven 
Can, can y'all sing my song later, Luther? I don't know any of these new songs, Luther's saying. You'll learn them. We got all eternity. Some of you have come into church and you're like, I didn't know. We sang. I talked to a brother that just got saved. And he's like, what do you do in church? You've never been in church. And so we sing songs. He's like, I got to sing? That's well, only if you want to, but I think you'll want to. Because when Jesus comes and fills your heart, there's a melody that has to come out. The Bible tells us when the Spirit of God is controlling you, you sing with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, that you actually sing with melody in your heart, so that when you are worshiping God, it's just normal that you sing. You say, well, I'm not much of a singer. That's okay. This is just rehearsal for eternity. Some of you guys are going to really feel bad when you get to choir rehearsal in heaven and you haven't been practicing in advance. We're going to sing in heaven. We're going to learn all kinds of stuff in heaven. It's going to be awesome. We're going to worship in heaven. So worship here on the Lord's Day. Sing. When you come to the Lord's Day, come ready with your Bible. Bring, your, bring the Scriptures. This is worship. We have to be wise in how we worship on the Lord's Day. It's singing. It's praying. It's, it's preaching. It's serving one another. But I'll say that to say, worship doesn't end when we say Amen. Everything we do in life as a believer is to be directed towards the Lord. And our worship then has to extend into our home. So if we're going to extend worship in our home, we need to be a little intentional about our worship. Suppose we said, okay, guys, y'all, we decided that we're not going to have a start time for worship. We're just going to gather whenever we want to gather. So when you feel like it, show up. And hopefully enough of us can show up on any given day so we can have worship service. You go, that would never work. Well, I got to be helpful here. I think for some of you men to realize that if your home is going to be a place of worship, you're going to have to be real intentional about it. You say, well, how do I do that, Pastor? Be a man. A real man's not a guy who eats raw liver and drives a jacked up truck. He might be a real man. He might not. A real man is a man who says, I'm going to live for my master, my king. I'm his slave. And what he says, I will do including leading my kids to know Jesus, loving my wife, and leading her spiritually. So, you know, that just means stepping up to the plate. And don't make excuses. I, I never learned how. We'll teach you. I don't think I could do it. you got the Spirit of God living in you. And you can lead your home. We have a nation in want of men to stand up and be men. We can say this world's messed up and we can point fingers all day long at all the areas where it's broken, but you and I know every time we do that, there's four more pointing at us and what we're saying is this world's broken and don't know what true manhood is and our culture needs to understand what it is to be a man, to act like men, to smell like a man and to lead like a man. Well, the reason that oftentimes that hasn't happened is because there are men within the church that have neglected their responsibility to do just that in home. Now, I know that's probably not most of you, but if it is you, it's okay. But it's not okay to stay that way. It's a change. I don't even know where to change. Today at lunch, you say, folks, folks, family, whoever you got with, I'd like to pray. Just pray a very simple prayer, a very simple prayer of worship to God. Be a man and pour out your heart to the holy living God and tell God what He means to you. And then have everyone gather around and pray. Just start somewhere. And then that family worship, do just like what we've been saying here. 
Make worship a very special time for your family. I don't know what time that is, but be intentional about it. If you're not intentional about it, it will never happen. It'll be just like us saying, hey, we're going to worship someday, somehow, somewhere. Just hope you all show up at some point. No, we say, this is the time we're going to gather for corporate worship. Do that in your home. Do that in your home. It gets harder as your kids get older, let's face it. We have a lot of demands on our time. We have a lot of activities. We have a lot of events. We have a lot of things to be part of. But don't let the most important part of your family worship, 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 get set aside as we redirect our worship at sports and education and work opportunities and obligations and neighborhood obligations and commitments. Don't let our worship get redirected at those things that are less than God. Are you following me saying, man, I'll move on? Personal worship. Our personal worship is, doesn't happen by accident. It happens intentionally. I mean, here's the angel saying, worship God. What, a, what an imperative. I'm going to end it here, but I want to just encourage you to personally be a worshiper of God. And that worshiper of God, you being a worshiper of God, doesn't happen, happen accidentally. It happens when you're intentional about it. And when you're intentional about it, you'll realize what happens in you oftentimes is controlling you far more than what's happening to you on a daily basis. Are you worshiping God? Well, how do I do that, Pastor? Well, one, one, start here, be a keeper of the Word. Read the Word. Worship in the Word every single day, sometime, somewhere. What's the best time for you? Get it. If it's in the morning, I found that's pretty easy for me and better to do it in the morning because my day can get away. It's like that working out. It's like that drinking coffee. I like to start off my day, all of those things. I want you to know that you have to be intentional about that. Prayer. You have to be intentional about that. You have to be intentional about that. But praying redirects your attention to the living God who is, in fact, in control of everything going on in this world, including the stuff that's happening to you. Music. Isn't music such a great vehicle to worship God? It certainly can be. If it's music that is rooted in Scripture and is directed at who God really is. Now, let's face it. Not all music's that way. Not all music's that way. In fact, there's a lot of music that we call Christian, maybe that doesn't help us. But there's a lot of time and maybe a lot of energy we put into listening to music that is not God-centered at all. In fact, if you are like me, sometimes I think, man, some of the old music, I, I like some of the old music, but I will listen to old music, I'm like, good night. I didn't realize what they were talking about back then. I thought that was a good song. That's a terrible song. You're like, have you heard some of the music today? Have you heard some of the music from the 70s? Good night. If your music is not helping you to direct your attention to worship God, maybe change the channel. Maybe listen to something else. If you're listening to radio and conversations on the radio that are about everything in this world and not directed at the next world, maybe take some time to quit listening to the conversation about what this senator or that senator or this elected official or that elected official is doing or what's going on in the world of sports or what's going on in the world of money and maybe spend some time worshiping God through God-centered music and learn music. We're, we're, we're celebrating this year the 250th anniversary of Amazing Grace. You've heard me say that. 250 years we've been singing Amazing Grace. It's like one of my favorites. It's like the top three favorite songs I have. 
probably I'm not alone in that. But could you imagine one day somebody going to church? After church, they leave, they get in their buggy or get on their horse or however they get out 250 years ago. They go to lunch. They got their soup and their bread. How was church? Eh, what happened? They slipped in a new song at church today. Yeah, what was the name of it? Amazing Grace. Some guy named John Newton wrote it. Do you know that 250-year-old song had to be new to somebody at some point? And now all these years later, it's one of our favorites? I may not like a particular song that you like, but I like that you like it. And since you like it, I'm going to worship along with you. The goal of worship is to aim our direction at Jesus Christ. And our preferences can't be overriding or overlording that. In our private time, we need to have time in music, time in scriptures, time in prayer, time in evangelism, spending time telling others about Jesus Christ so that we're intentional in our private worship. Why is that? Because the more intentional we are, listen to this and I'll finish here. The more intentional we are in our public, corporate worship, the more intentional we are in our family worship, the more intentional we are in our personal worship, the more we're going to realize that what happens to us is not nearly as important as to what happens in us. So then that whatever we're doing, whether it's eating or drinking, it is to the glory of God. We are worshipers. We've been made to worship. We've been created for God. We've been created to exalt Jesus Christ. And we can do that whether we're hitting a baseball or signing a contract or making a sale or teaching a class or coming to a bad situation. We can't control what happens around us. Cancer cells or weather cells, they're going to cause havoc. But we can submit inside of us worship to God. How? How to worship God in the end? Here, let me conclude it. Let's worship God for what He's doing in this world. We've studied the book of Revelation that our Lord Jesus Christ created all things, bringing all things to Himself. He's redeeming all things and one day coming back to judge all things. And we will live with Him forever in the world that is to come. So God is at work in this world. Don't take the slanted, cynical view that everything is going to hell in a handbasket. The reality is this world's coming to our Lord, and that's not anything going on in this world right now that our God is not sovereign over. Secondly, think about what God's done for this world. He sent His Son into this world so that the world in Jesus Christ would not be condemned but be saved. Think about what God has done in you. Think about the fact that God has saved you from a life of sin and hopelessness, receiving what you rightfully deserve, the wrath of God on your love for ungodliness. God saved you, rescued, redeemed you, and one day will bring you into heaven. Think about what God is currently doing in you. While you sit here, God is active. While you may be passive, He never is. And the God who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. He's working a work in your marriage 
He can do a miracle where you thought there was a dead life and a dead marriage. God can raise it up because God will begin something and He will start everything that He begins. What God is doing in you is greater than what is happening around you. And think about what God's doing for others that He might do right through you as an act of service as you give what you can by the grace of God to the glory of God. Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. Thank you that you are bringing all things to yourself. Thank you that you've called us to be your worshipers, that God, we are in fact nothing more and nothing less than your people made for your glory, ultimately, Lord, to bring worship to you through all that we do or say. Today, today, Lord, we do that. In Jesus' name I ask, amen.